Recently, 70% of Australian households have a pet. That's according to RSPCA Knowledge Base, and about half of those being a dog and about a third being a cat. No way. That's huge. I know. So that's Australian households. So apparently it's quite similar in America as well and probably a lot of other countries. So it does beg the question, we've got to think about how do people design their gardens that are suitable for pets? Well, I was actually thinking, where does all that dog poo go? <laughs> ah, that's a good conversation we shall have. <laughs> I think it's something we definitely need to yeah. touch on. <laughs> and when you think about pets spending most of their time in the house and the garden... Um, and I'm certainly finding a lot of homeowners are asking for garden designs that will provide interest, engagement and comfort for their pets. So it really is a topic that our industry probably really needs to tackle. Think about. That's yeah. right. Exactly. Well, and if you think about it, pets are part of our families now and people are spending more time at home. They're working from home. They're also thinking perhaps, you know, where there are no other children, these are fur babies. How are they going to keep their animals occupied? And there's also the whole, you know, and we all know people who have barky dogs, the impact on people around the neighbourhood in terms of pets. All of those reasons, really. That's right. And and also legislative reasons. Um, We're starting to see, uh, I know particularly in Canberra where we live, there's a lot of suburbs that are bringing cat containment laws. So cats that would normally otherwise roam, they need to now find a space that um, they can be engaged and still have a good cat life (laughs) that's inside. (laughs) That's really important, Mm. living your best cat life. Mm. Welcome to the On Garden Design podcast with Fleur and Sachi, where we chat about what makes a garden great and we try to inspire and make designing accessible to anyone who is interested in gardens. Your hosts are longtime friends, Fleur and Sachi, who bring a fresh perspective and their life experience to designing gardens as a second career. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram, follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts so that you know when our next episode is available. So Fleur, let's dive into pet-friendly gardens. Absolutely. Let's start with what sort of pets we're talking about. We're really thinking about the dogs and the cats and maybe touching on rabbits and guinea pigs and fish. Yeah, I think there's maybe we could also make some comments on poultry because a lot of people are keeping chickens, even, even though they're kind of working animals. I was about to say, they're not really pets yeah, necessarily. But they Although, do take consideration. I think in garden design, you've got to consider how are you going to incorporate yes. that chicken coop or the, that duck enclosure into your design. And their poo. Yes, yeah. I'm really focused on poo today, aren't I? <laughs> <You> are. <laughs> That's a worry. <laughs> yeah, I so think that is really important. What kind of pets are we talking about? And I think... You know, if we're thinking about cats and dogs, a lot of this is about thinking about the characteristics of the pet that you're trying to design for will really help you think about what your design needs to cater for. So you talk about the behaviour, the pet yeah, behaviour. Yeah, that's right, yeah. exactly. Not not whether they're long or short-haired, <laughs> you know, that's that kind of thing. I'm talking about particularly with dog breeds, have you got a digger? Do you have a chewer? Do you have a jumper? Do you have a barker? An escape artist. An escape artist, exactly. Mm. So thinking about what are you catering for? Is your young cat particularly active and needs you know, engagement or is it an older cat that's really happy to lie in the sun in a comfy place? Yeah. Do you have chickens that like to wander or chickens that just like to roost? Yes. So yes. there's this whole range of uh, different types of uh, pets and their behaviours and I think that's, the, that's probably the big question up front is as a pet owner – what's the characteristic or the not the characteristics the behaviors, the behaviors of your right. pet and therefore how do we need to consider that when we're doing design if you know the behavior of your pet you also know how your pet might become trainable to adjust their behaviors then maybe that's part of design is looking at ways that that pet can actually adjust from being a digger 
to being uh, not a digger. Or guided into digging zone and ah. therefore it starts to learn. Because I was actually going to say you can design your garden for your pet but you probably need to do a bit of pet design in terms of training as well, in terms of how to use your garden, even if you design it. So you do want to be thinking about not every pet's going to know that they have to go to a particular spot, although you want to make it as intuitive for them as possible. Yeah, that's true. And not everyone has a maple. This is a, one of my client's pets who's, at, who's so beautifully trained that he rings the bell when he wants to go outside and poop. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I know. And if we all had a maple, then we wouldn't even have to have this conversation about pet-friendly garden design because, you know, maple is just your ideal dog. Well, I was about to say, as long as maple knows where to go when he's outside as well. He seems pretty cluey. Oh, that's, yeah. that's mm. clever. Mm. Well, there you go. Mm. The perfect combination of training and potentially garden design in a maple. Yes, there you go. Right. <laughs> so let's, let's move on mm. to the how. So this is the yeah. interesting bit. Mm. Well, you know, I think, I like, I've sort of, in my mind, I like to start conversations with pet owners when I go to garden design by asking a couple of questions. The first one we've kind of touched on already, which is, you know, what's your pet's behaviours? So what kind of pet, you know, we're, how are we going to incorporate those pet behaviours into what we're going to design? So, you know, we have touched on that. But the, the second one I really like to know from a client is what is their tolerance for mess or imperfection or even destruction. I think that's important as well because it will really determine how hard you might need to go for fencing or barriers versus, you know, yeah, I can be a bit um, more gentle in terms of what I have around the place. I think one of the things that when I was thinking about this topic also is we often use rooms in when we're designing a garden. As a human, you know, there's our room effectively for relaxing in. There's our room for socialising in. There's our room for the utility space with bins or whatever. You could potentially do the same for your pet. So if it's really important that your pet has a garden that's designed for them, you know, how might you lay your design out so that you have a place where they can sleep and that's good for sun and cold then or shade mm. I might say mm-hmm. uh, you have a place for them if they're a digger that they might want to dig in you know you do have a place for where they need to go to the toilet so thinking about how do you lay all of this out in the space that you have I think is probably a good place to start too yeah so I think that's um you know we're thinking about zoning yeah. the garden at the moment and uh really the way to zone a garden when it comes to sort of pet zones I suppose is having physical barriers Mm. Uh, any other way to kind of or very clear paths so Mm. the things you might want to do is you may want to have very quite tightly planted areas because pets won't usually push through a really dense bush for instance or a very spiky bush so you might Mm. want to do things like plant some of your plants quite closely together where you don't want your pet to go but provide a very easy path they're just like humans they'll take the (laughs) fastest and most direct route (laughs) to where they want to go so if you make it easy for them to go in a particular way they'll follow that and apparently dogs love perimeter runs yes yes that's right you know you can look at your gut yard right now and you say okay what's the circuits that my pets tend to follow you know you can see the foot pads of where do they tend to go do they run around the perimeter all day yes and wear out the grass so therefore that would be a, the first um, point to inform you oh, we need to put in a perimeter path or do you have a dog that runs to the front fence and looks out because they like to see what's going on so how am I going to allow them to see out 
so that they're not trying to go under or over or anything like that. You might create a fence that actually has a little looking area. A little peephole. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's, a, that's a great idea. In fact, I saw one that's, you know, you sort of imagine a, like a, a bowl like there's a window? Yes, yes. And like dogs a, can poke their head in it? Yeah, that's right. Because <laughs> they also, some of them do like a perspex bubble almost that yeah, you know, a that's dog what can I'm see thinking. through. Yeah, that's right. Mm. But I have also seen, I mean, often people just have a, a wood knot and it's just the right size for the nose and so the nose gets stuck through there. <laughs> but they do actually cut holes in fences as well so the dog's head can yeah. stick out. And, which, and what's the reason for this? Well, I just think it's because dogs, like, they're inquisitive. And, you know, if you're a bit bored, what do you want to do? You want to look outside and have a look at what's going on in the world or you hear a noise and you can't see through the fence. And so stop your dog from trying to dig under it or trying to go over it by giving them a place to see and maybe a couple of places. You see, that might actually be a good remedy to stop a barking dog because if they can actually see... Uh, what's happening out there? Maybe they're less inclined to bark. Maybe it makes them bark more. So you yeah. need to know your dog. Yeah, you do. Back, yeah. back to that, you know, know yeah. your dog's behaviours. Yeah. And, you know, cats are the same. They, they like to see from high points. So if you create a high point, um, like if you have to have a cat enclosure and you've got a series of levels, and often, you know, you see some fabulous cat runs that are built along fence lines, the top of fence lines, and then into a, a tree that's sort of still enclosed. That's where the cats want to be. They want to be up high. They do want to be up high. And they want to observe from that level. So you sort of look at, you know, the creating really interesting sort of runs around and circuits that keep the pets interested. If you can incorporate things then like your, you know, your shady spot for when they, when it's hot, um, you want to be thinking about that. And you can create some vertical height then that gives you the aesthetic interest in your garden. You know, you might have an enclosure that gives them the shade, but also gives you something that you can grow a nice vine over or, you know, a flowering rose or whatever it might be. And I was just thinking when you were talking about the cat run, you might want to take your cat run up into a tree, but then give them a nice sunny spot that they'll, you know, that they tend to go to rather than roaming into the next door neighbour's garden to find the nice sunny spot over there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was just thinking back to um, Susan's garden I went to and I, I don't, I didn't do the garden, but um, it was already built to be a cat containment garden and it was just so fascinating to see. And she had run this series of basically cat runs that were that were against the wall of the house, right around the house under the eaves. Great idea. So the cat was up high and it was able to go all over and it, and it had little breakout rooms along the run. So it was really interesting. And depending on where the shade, sun, heat and all the rest of it was, the cat had a – it was entertained, it was – engaged it felt like it was in nature and without really, being without out in being, the wild that's it and it was um it was just such a great setup and i know there's a lot of companies that do offer those sort of things uh, as well as have you heard of such a thing called a catio yes yes, yes. the enclosed patio <laughs> for, the, for cat. the cats yeah. yes and i tell you what there are some beautiful designs and i've seen some wonderful pictures which create not only a really great space for a cat like all different levels and different interests and different textures to climb on different views but uh, also a beautiful place for people to sit yes see it yes. doesn't have to just be dedicated to the cat it can actually really involve the whole family and often and i certainly know from your cat fleur mm. he's always coming out to join us when we're sitting out on your deck 
it's inviting because there's often sun there, but he also likes to be around people. And often yeah. your dog and your cat like to be around people. So how can you incorporate in your design some nice place that you want to be, but also think about how you might want to um, engage your animal in that space too? Yeah, and that's that's really important for um because most homeowners, they, they don't want to make their pet feel like they're in a jail. They yes. want the pet to be able to have that sort of free expression and, and scope and engagement. But you also want to keep some places pet away free. from your pet. That's right. <laughs> so let's, let's talk about some of those because I think it's really important when we're talking about keeping your pet safe. So one that comes to mind is compost. Yes. Compost can harbour some really dangerous bacterias and uh, it can make dogs and cats quite sick. So that's an area where if you don't already have a covered compost, you want to consider, once again, your pet's behaviours and if they're likely to go digging in the compost. Ditto with a shed where you might store some of your chemicals and some of the things that you use in your garden, which are not very healthy for animals as well. Make sure that they are lockable or or closable upable at least. Um, Or you've got things in a place that a cat can't, for instance, get on top of the shelf with the poisons or whatever they might be as well. The other thing actually, and it's a bit different um, to, you know, what you want to be thinking about, but fences are really important for dogs. And you do want to be thinking about the height of your fence depending on the size of your dog. So, you know, if it's a if it's a smaller dog, probably a 1.2 metre fence will be enough to stop it from going anywhere. And a larger dog, you'll need obviously a higher fence up to around two metres. But the other thing you want to be thinking about is self-closing gates. So those, you know, helpful people that um, might come into your garden occasionally to measure things or, you know, or take a reading or check your electricity pole or whatever it might be. Don't close the gate. Don't close the gate. Mm. You've got something that's self-closing there. So wandering dog. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, a lost dog that gets locked out. Nothing worse than that. Absolutely. And so the other thing actually I was – I wanted to go back to was the how do you stop – animals going where you don't want them to. So if you yeah. do have a nice part of your garden that you really, you know, it's your pride and joy and you've got a dog that will wander, what would you do? How would you stop them from getting in there? Yeah, you know, I think the only way is physical barriers. And, you know, like you are saying before, dogs tend to not go through thick mast plantings. And so you can actually create avenues where you want to get your dog to sort of... So you don't, have to, them. you don't have to have these kind of cages built into your garden, but there's areas where you can have thick plantings that they just won't naturally go through. Uh, and then as they go sort of down around the path, there might just be a, uh, a fence or some barricade then that stops them going into maybe your vegetable garden, for example. That's exactly right. And I think, you know, even things like your box hedges, if your dog's a small dog, that's enough to stop them from, you know barreling into a garden that they're not meant to but the other Mm. thing is raising garden beds if your dog isn't a big dog or it's not a jumper or whatever it is that might be a good solution to stop um, a pet from going in yeah to the garden yeah and um, I was also thinking of you know that pvc coated chain link fence that's a really clever way to create a barricade where you can grow something quite easily to hide the fence so that you know it's a barrier that goes right down to the ground whereas you might have holes in a hedge and then you can either you know have your hedge right onto that or you can have sort of a climbing jasmine or something that's um disguises that disguises yeah that's right And and that only needs to be maybe you know depending on your you know the size of your pet you're trying to contain that might only be sort of 500 mil high or might be one a thousand mil high it's um, it would just be enough to create a barricade without creating an eyesore. Yes, that's right. It's, it's sort of light enough that it doesn't really come become an aesthetic barrier. Yeah, it's yeah. just a pet barrier. 
Yeah, and you know, using Rio Mesh, um, there's quite a few really nice design materials that can create these semi-transparent screens that we've sometimes talked about that are actually a design aesthetic that also is dual-purposed as a barrier, but it doesn't appear to be a barrier. And I'd say the one thing that you do want to avoid in a garden, unless you've designated a digging area, you don't want bare soil because it's an invitation to dig. So you do want to be thinking about, do you fill it with plants? Do you have, you know, reasonably deep mulch? Although mulch can also be a, a good deep digging area. It smells really good when you dig it up. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> if you're God dog, knows I what mean. you might find in it. <laughs> yeah. um, so, you know, some of those things as well you want to be thinking about. And also you want to be thinking about if you're planting, you might not want to start with tube stock if you've got dogs. You might want to start with slightly larger plants because they're less likely to get dug up than you really tiny plants. Yeah, I think probably comes back to that uh, idea of using canopy yes. so and layering. So you've got your sort of big woody kind of shrubs that and you know small trees that create that aren't easy to dig up. And then you've got canopy under that. So you're layering under that the shrubs and then the ground covers. Some of the ground covers are terrific for pets, you know, like creeping thyme, lamb's ear. Yes. That's another good one. These are all sort of safe ones. It's succulents. Right. Succulents, exactly. Mm. And particularly even between the larger woody plants to stop that bareness of ground that's inviting to dig up. Yeah. Using some um, some ground cover to help cover those bits up. Um, so um, I just I was just thinking about, so what are the kind of things that you do want to think about in terms of your landscaping materials? Because yeah. we are thinking about soft pores. So we want to go away from anything that's sharp that might actually, like, you know, the sharp rocks and some of the gravels which get caught in pores as well, yeah. you might want to steer away you know, from. gravel pebbles and dogs is just a bad combination because <laughs> yeah, they just, just they'll scatter, scatter. it. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, right. and then getting pebbles on your lawn and all those sort of things, it's really irritating. So I, I always think that pebbles and dogs aren't a good mix. Yeah, and if you are going to use do rocks. pebbles... <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But if you are going to use pebbles, you want to use rounded ones to make sure that they are gentle on their feet. I think that's important. But yes, do be conscious that pebbles, um, and you also don't want to be picking up the things that they might put between pebbles. Mm, that would yeah, be very unattractive. Yeah. So yeah, back on your question of um, sort of hardscape materials, I think as well is um, hardscape materials that are easy to keep clean. Mm. So if you've got... Uh, you know, I guess sort of paving and areas that you can just sort of hose them down. So if you do have sort of accidents of, you know, wee and poop and whatnot, it can be easily cleaned, uh, not stainable. Yes. Um, and in fact, I was going to say, you know, some of the natural stones, for instance, you probably want to seal if they're going to be Yeah, like sandstone is a classic that Limestones, just absorbs Yeah, exactly, they absorb things. And, yeah. So you do want to be thinking mm. about how you might seal those so that they're a bit more uh, pet friendly, you could say. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, this is probably, we're talking about ground surfaces here. Um, so I think this is probably a good space to get into lawns. Yes, good idea. Because they cause are a lot of controversial when it comes dogs. to a pet. Yeah. yeah. And why, mm. like, let's outline the problem mm. just in case people aren't necessarily thinking about it. Yeah. Um, so we're basically talking about when um, dogs pee on the garden, uh, on the lawn, you get those unsightly yellow and then go to brown patches because it basically kills yeah, the lawn. Yeah, because the, the dog urine is very strong in nitrogen and salts that, That's right. um, that just kill the lawn. Mm. So what's your suggestion? Yeah, okay, this is a good one because I do have clients that have these problems all the time. So the first one I, you know, go back to that initial question of what's your tolerance as a pet owner 
for you know, massive destruction. Lawn. That's yeah. right. And some pet owners say, look, I really just want my pet to be happy and I'll, I'll deal with – I don't mind if there's patches on the lawn. That's fine. Some, some um, pet owners say, look, I really just want the dog to be on the lawn when I'm home, so therefore we need to find a way to actually enclose that space. Mm. Uh, or just contain the dog into a zone. Into another zone, yeah. Yeah, so it can be better controlled. And then um, the other ones that I've had before is that some pet owners are able to train their dog to go to a certain space and so an area of lawn is like the sacrificial lawn. <laughs> and so Slightly that, out of sight. Yeah, yes. yeah so, and that just becomes the place. Yeah. And, and, and dogs apparently are quite good at routinely doing their business in certain places. Yes. You know, cats will just find a nice little spot in the neighbour's vegetable patch, for example. <laughs> <That's> right, exactly. <laughs> or in my garden, I've noticed. <laughs> and that's where you never leave your, uh, you know, your beautifully tilled, ready-to-go vegetable garden with blank soil in it because there's bound to be a neighbourhood cat coming and adding some compost. <laughs> that's exactly that's right. Not of what the you wrong want. sort. You don't want to grow your no, vegetables out of that. Not at all. Not at all. What about artificial turf, Fleur? I know Ooh. that you have a view here. It's interesting. <laughs> I was reading a Facebook post on this recently and – it was there was two very divided camps about use of artificial turf for dog um, use, and of course you can imagine the two camps. You know, very very pro, very very anti. So the um, the anti, of course, brought up all these ideas that the dog urine just sits in the turf and it stinks, and when it gets hot, it even gets more smelly. It gets volatile. Um, if you've got artificial turf in areas that get a high sunshine, then you know you can burn your little puppy's paws. Mm, it's incredibly hot, and sometimes they don't really they don't really realise what is so uncomfortable under their feet. It's like little kids. They'll stand on it and just start screaming because mm. they don't realise that their feet are actually burning. But they know it's painful. They don't think to move. So there's those um, side of it. And then there was other people who said, oh, we've laid it and it's been fantastic and the dog can't dig it up and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, you've got really two different divides. And I think um, it might depend on your climate. Um, it might depend, uh, you know, in terms of some places that just get really hot and wet and pretty kind of stinky. It probably depends a lot on your dog as well. Mm, I think that's right. I think it is one of those things you need to do your research and work out what is important to you, whether yeah. you use artificial turf or not. Well, it's interesting because as I have mentioned this one before. It's Beck's Courtyard where we did an entire design about her pets. So she's a busy woman, um, you know, full-time job, and she has two dogs and two cats and the whole courtyard was designed for their pleasure which is just so fun, you know, so fun to do. But we did put in artificial turf mm. and uh, and she did train the dogs to use a certain patch of that, which was their uh, toileting area. And she was very conscious about – she would, you know, scoop up the poop and, and wash it down every day. So that was her way of maintaining it. Plus it was a courtyard all built on concrete. So it didn't have the opportunity to really do a lot of other yeah. things. Yeah, fair enough, um, fair enough. But that, you know, and that's also it probably ties in some of these other things we're talking about in terms of entertaining the pets. So we had um, steps so they could go up and down, you know, places where the cats could sit up higher, uh, mirrors – because apparently cats don't mind admiring themselves. Well, my cat doesn't look in the mirror at all, but I think some, some cats, cats do. do. Some yeah. cats do. Chickens absolutely. do. Chickens love a mirror in their coop. <laughs> Maybe it's just your chickens. Well, I think they think it's a friend. You yeah, know, someone come to someone visit else. Them. <laughs> They're not real bright. Yeah, they think that, wow, our coop's like, oh, we've got twice as many chickens today. <laughs> <laughs> there are some other things that are useful in terms of that, keeping the animals stimulated as well. Do you have some nooks and crannies where you can use that to hide treats, for instance, if you're someone who goes, say, to work or, you know, you're got a zoom call and you want to keep them out of your hair 
thinking about textures, you know, what kind of textures you might you want in the garden to yes. mix it up for them so it's not just monotone and, and very uniform. And then even movement. So bringing some grasses in that have real movement and you can also use them because they can often be quite dense as part of that helping guide your pet, pets to particular areas. Yeah. But some of that stuff, and I was just thinking about one of the dogs that I used to own, really enjoyed sort of running after a swing. So, you know, a rope with something on the end of it that, you know, you can go out in the beginning of the morning and the thing will keep swinging for a while and the dog just spends a lot of its time wearing itself out and then it goes to sleep, which is always yeah. a really nice way of keeping the, the dog occupied. Yeah. Uh, look, and I think we've got, we've probably got three more things we have to talk about. One is water features. Yes, absolutely. Uh, two is plants. Yes. And three is just some other niche pets. Yes. So let's just hit water features to start with because they can be an amazing source of entertainment for a pet. Yeah, absolutely. And a drinking water source if yes. you keep it clean. Yes. And you've got to be con- you know, conscious about how deep. And, and in fact, you don't thing. necessarily need to, need to keep it super clean because dogs mm. are really not that discriminatory. Mm. You just want to keep it healthy for them. Yeah. Um, well, but, it depends if they bathe in it as well. Oh, well, that's true. <laughs> well, I don't think they're even discriminatory in that case. Um, but, yeah, thinking about, you know, is your pond something or do you want to create a water feature where it might also be a splash pond for yes. your dog? Yes. Uh, less so for your cat, obviously, because they don't like swimming. But, you know, do you, or do you want it just to be something that's a, a drinking bowl? for instance. So how can you incorporate that into your design so that it is dual purpose again? Yeah. I think that's yeah. definitely something I think, there's, think a lot, there's a lot of benefits in having water in the garden for a dog. I think there's uh, it can be quite an interesting thing. But, you know, like any water feature, you've got to kind of maintain it. You do. You do. Yeah. And if you are really keen, I mean, most of you will have, you know, experienced, certainly in Australia, dogs chasing the hose in summer and, yeah. um, you know, running around after it. Oh, my cat chases when I'm watering with a watering can. Chases the water that's coming out. Well, your cat's unusual. <laughs> <laughs> Loves it. Like, it plays with it. It's like this fascinating drip. Yeah, okay. Loves it. So it's entertainment. So I should probably string up something that could just drip. That's right. And a cat that's would be exactly right. By it. So thinking about, you know, again, the behaviour of your animal and yes. whether you can actually incorporate that into your design. Yeah, Let's right. talk about plants. Plants. Look, plants are quite a big one, actually. So we really should... Focus. Focus because there's a list of plants to avoid yes. and plants that are actually really great. Yes, let's start with a great. Okay, yeah. So what things would you suggest? Well, um, I mean, certainly from a cat's perspective, catnip and cat mint. Mm, absolutely. Um, you know, my cat rolls in the cat mint and is exhilarated by it. There's some sort of hormonal release that releases something that makes the, hat, cat, the cat happy and playful and uh, often just sleeps in there, just really comforted. So that's a great one for my cat. Absolutely, absolutely. And there doesn't seem to really be something um, comparable for dogs in terms of what they like. I think yeah. um, I haven't come across anything that is sort of that stimulates the same response, I guess. No. The one thing I did see was uh, St John's wort. Yes. Apparently is a very calming – it's got a sedative It um, is, but it's effect. a weed where we live. Yeah, but if you had a certain area in your garden where, <laughs> where you know, for some, for some animals where that is very therapeutic – Maybe. Then maybe that's what you do. If you feel you can keep it from going wild yeah. um, and uh, and populating native bush areas. But I think some of the more general plants, which don't necessarily have that sort of stimulation effect um, on cats or dogs, but that are pretty robust and that don't affect them. I'm just going to rattle off a list here. Oh, because you've got I a think list, I do. I have a list. <laughs> so crepe myrtles. Well, uh, any trees really. Any trees, that's right. Yeah. But crepe myrtles in particular because they, they're not poisonous either. That's mm. the other thing I think that's critical here. Euonymus for hedging plants. Abelia, again, for hedging as well. Kangaroo paws. Mm. Uh, something like viburnums. 
They are all useful for some of the, not so much the kangaroo paw, but certainly for screening and privacy and also creating that dense thing that stops animals going through. So that structure in the garden. And then lavender, dwarf mm. mondo grass, roses are also good. They'll provide you with some of the flowers but stop some pets from going to places that they uh, don't shouldn't necessarily go. shouldn't okay. go. Yeah, that's right. And for shady areas, you might want to be thinking about ferns, again, mondo grass, some mock orange and carrox, which is a grass type. Yeah, yeah. So just some things to be thinking. And in thinking. fact, the, the grass is like I'm thinking mondo grass and carrox. I find some cats need to chew on a bit of grass to stimulate their, yeah. Yes, digestion. Yeah. yeah, that's right. So that often is quite good. And in fact, sorry, I've just got a couple that I want to um, mention because they're wee resistant. So New Zealand flax. The formiums. What do you mean, we resistant? Well, basically, they won't die if a, a pet oh, pees on them. Okay, right. So, uh, New Zealand flax, cornus, so the red twig dogwood, yeah. and viburnums. How about Apparently. That? What do okay. you know? Well, they're bonus for you. That's, that's exactly think about those right. in your in your for your hedging then. That's exactly yeah. right. Oh, that's great. Now, um I think probably also it's interesting to talk about some of oh actually no, I want to add ornamental grasses. Yes. I think they're great. Yeah, as like well. the carrots. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I guess some of them though with the seed heads might get stuck in some animals. Yes, first and whatnot, that's so a really like good that. point. But avoid plants. So there are quite a few that are really, really poisonous to pets. But really, I'll just sort of caveat it with a: if you've got a pet that's a chewer. Yes. And some of them you have to ingest a fair bit of them before your pet gets sick. Like they've got to be chewing on them for quite some time. So when you, you know, I have plant lists that say like cycads, poisonous to dogs. But you've got to have a chewer and it's not like it just... Don't freak out if that plant is in your garden. It's just that if your dog chews on it a lot, then you might have a problem. But most dogs don't. Right, and there are a lot of plants that have some kind of poisonous element to them and you might end up with a garden with one plant if you really are too rigorous well, around this. Well, I was going to say most everyday garden plants are poisonous and, you know, we're talking things like hellebores, hydrangeas, That's cycads. Exactly. Daffodils. Daphne. Daffodils, yeah, azaleas, Fox carnations, yes. lilies. You know, so there's a huge amount that you just... Um, you know, wisteria. These are these can all cause problems, but only for dogs that are going to eat them. Going to eat them. <laughs> That's yeah. right. So once again, know your dog and um, or your pet's different behaviours. So, so there are yeah. two, three last plants I want to mention because they have a different impact in a pet-friendly garden. So tansy and penny royal, which is a type of mint, they are actually plants that um, and wormwood is similar that they can be put into sort of shady areas and they will deter fleas and insects. So where your pet sleeps, you might want to be thinking about whether you put something like that in. And I, I think you just need to be careful because some of those things, th- those two plants can be a bit invasive as well. So you want to be thinking about whether that's right for your area. And the other one is if you don't want your dog to go somewhere, use some dog bane, which is Coleus canina, mm. and they don't like the smell. So if it is something that you want to deter them from, Perhaps you want to put that perennial there. It's like spraying around your eaves with peppermint oil diluted in water because spiders don't like the smell. Yes, exactly, exactly. But I always cut wormwood and put it into my chicken coop because it's really good for keeping away mites. Yes, absolutely. So chickens are happy. In fact, let's quickly mention of some other niche pets. So small mammals, you know, a lot of… Rabbits, yeah, guinea pigs. Yeah, we could rabbit on all day about we these. We could. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and and uh, mice, you know, pet mice, those sort of things. Although you're less likely to let them go in the garden. Well, the point is that any of those pets need to have sort of enclosure. They do. And, you know, you, you've got to have a look at, you know, what sort of pet you have. And often these sort of pets come in protected cages 
that you can move around the lawn so they can do a bit of lawn mowing for you and it means that their poop is sort of spread out around the as lawn. As fertiliser. As fertiliser. And so movable cages, they're really useful. But it also means that your pet is getting uh, some sunlight and some natural kind of um, feeding and touching of um, plant life, which is good for the pet. But it does mean you need to design lawn into your garden if you have those pets and you that want to take true. them outside. That is true. There's also, you know, things like poultry. We talked a bit about some, you know, chickens and whatnot. So I think this is also about that zoning. If you don't want them wandering around your garden, then contain them. Well, design and, to and contain desi- them. And that's it. And I'll just mention my design where I don't want my chickens walking on the pavement because they just poop on it. So I have them walking straight into their chicken run, which is also the orchard, and that's covered and netted. So it's completely their space, and I want them pooping there and digging and scratching because they're doing the orchard soil amazing things. So you just look at the how you can design the coop access into other places where you actually not only you want them, but they're beneficial to that space as well. And you get a good crop out of it afterwards. Yeah. Now tell me a bit about fish because you're the one who keeps fish. So <laughs> well, what do you need I- to think about if you've got pet fish? Well, very little. My fish just kind of survive anything. But I do think you do need to be thinking about if you're putting in a pond and it's for fish, you do in Australia need to think about mosquitoes and mosquito larvae. Make sure your fish are big enough to eat your larvae or you've actually got something circulating which will keep the uh, larvae from actually, well, the mosquitoes from breeding in your water because they like still water, you not moving. You mean circulating like aerated? Well, yeah, yeah. The water actually just circulate moving. Mm. They like, they breed in still water. So you do want to make sure you've got some moving water. But other than that, fish are pretty um, what about low maintenance. in a pond for fish to well, hide under? Yeah, yeah. You want to provide them with some spaces to, to hide and um, make sure, that, you know, the birds won't necessarily, if they're small enough, fish them mm. out. But um, other than that, they are pretty low maintenance if you're thinking about just your good old carp, golden fish. That's good. And talk about another low maintenance. I'm not sure if you'd call it a pet, but I'll call it a pet because I have 10,000 of them bees. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But it's like anything you put into your garden. Um, If you're going to have a beehive, you just have to think about placement. So in in their case, I don't have to do anything to contain them. They're very self-contained. However, I do need to think about siting that beehive away from lawn because they don't like the vibrations of the lawnmower, Ah, for example. Very important. Siting it so that people aren't – it's not in a thoroughfare where the the bees are coming in and out. And there is really a whole sort of, um, I guess, set of principles that you need to think about when you're siting your beehive. It's really quite specific – I'm conscious of the time. We probably need to wrap up because we could probably talk for another 15 minutes just about the bees. I think we should wrap it on. No. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Dog how, on. Right. Okay, then let, let's wrap up. Um, so what are your takeaways? So really know your pet is my key takeaway and then think about how do you design your garden so that you're not working against your pet, you're working with your pet but you're using the elements in your garden cleverly so that they are directed and guided into places that you want them to be and not in other places and make it somewhere they want to be so that they don't want to go out because containing your pet is usually one of the key things that you're trying to do in your garden. That's terrific. That's a really great place to leave off Uh, and I'll add one more in there is know yourself so what are your own tolerances to dealing with mess and, and disruption how much do you like to control and neaten the area and then once you put those three things together, like you've said, pet behaviours, um, knowing your own tolerances and creating your zones. Your behaviours. <laughs> yeah, your behaviours, your pet's behaviours and right. creating zones, then I think you've nailed it. 
Well, it's been a fantastic topic. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. And we will talk to you again soon. Bye then. Goodbye.